Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to take four verses today. I almost only took two verses today, but I said, ah, let me see if I can stretch to four today. Because it's a very important topic for us. Because we're coming at the end of my favorite book, the book of Hebrews. And as we take a look here, we just finished chapter 11. And chapter 11 of Hebrews outlined all of those heroes of the faith. The wisdom of God, the but by faith, God worked through these men and women and they became very good examples for us of who can live by faith and faith alone in the promise of the Messiah that to come. And that God used these people to write them into the, the scriptures here for us to understand that by this examples, what a cloud of witness we will see here as we read this. There were a cloud of witnesses, a mass or an assembly of believers in God who were saved because they placed their faith in the promise of what God's word said. Today in chapter 12, we start the wisdom of hope. We've seen the wisdom of faith. Now we're going to see the wisdom of hope. Where do you and where do I place that hope in? That's the question for you and I. We need an enduring or a persevering or a patient faith. And that's what we will learn here in the verses 1 through 29 of chapter 12. Now the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up this letter to these believers that about and encouraging them in their faith because these Jewish believers who received this letter were getting weary in their walk with Jesus. They wanted to give up and they wanted to go back to the religious ways, to the traditions and to things that were not any longer because Jesus fulfilled everything. And so they wanted to go give up, but the writer encouraged them to keep moving forward in their Christian lives. Do not go back to the world. Don't go back to religiosity. Don't go back to legalism. Continue to walk by faith. Follow Jesus. But they were getting tired. They were getting weak. Persecution was coming upon them as believers. The world was coming against them. Their families, their jobs, their, every aspect of society were starting to come against them because they were few and the rest were all lost and wandering like the rest of the world. And they were coming against them and they become very weak. And it's like a runner, as we will see in verses 1 through 13. The writer describes it as a running the race. You have a race that God has put you on and you are to continue that race until he calls you home. And then at the very end, verses 14 through 29, we're going to see about keeping your eyes as a citizenship in heaven. Your home is in heaven as a believer. It's not of this world. And so the writer's encouraging them, these believers, under those two fronts. Keep running the race. You've had lots of witnesses. You've seen a lots of examples. I just wrote them out from Abraham and Noah to Joseph and all of these ones we just studied in chapter 11. He just wrote that part of the letter. He says, don't forget these examples. You can do it. Keep going in your race of following Jesus and the promises of God. We see in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that of which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What encouraging words for us as well to us that we need to understand. We may not be perfected. We're not, we haven't arrived yet, but God is doing a work in our lives and he says continue to run that race. Let God continue to do this work in your life and to change and mold you to be more Christ like in your life because you will be perfected once he takes us home into heaven the question is is are you going to heaven and the only way you can go to heaven is if you surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior the church won't save you religion won't save you your parents who are godly are and love Jesus is not going to be able to save you you and I as individuals as adults have to make a decision do we want to follow Jesus or do we want to follow religion religion is not going to get you to heaven regardless of what that church teaches you the Bible is clear it's God's word it's clear it's not negotiable lots of people will change the word of God but that doesn't mean it's right just because they talk, talking heads say certain things doesn't make it right. If it goes against the scripture, that is a bottom line thing for you and I. That's why it's easy. Once you settle that the word of God is from God and it's not from man, then you will settle that in your heart and no one can sway you from the truths of God. And if, the scripture talks about bewitching you, literally demonic bewitching you to move away from following Jesus. And if you're not set in your relationship with Jesus, you have a miserable religious experience. You do. You're not a very happy person at all. Because you will not have the joy of, of Christ living and, and living and breathing within you. You won't have the joy. You'll have religious, robotic relationships. And you all know what I'm talking about if you've been from there. If you've come from that religious background, you know what, that, what I'm talking about. It's just robotic. It has no meaning. It's no life-changing experience whatsoever. But if you're born again, you know you've been changed. You know, without a question, you've been forgiven. You know that you're going to heaven. You know you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know you communicate with him daily. You know he speaks to you through the word of God. You know there's no question in you. When you're born again, there's no question. And so as the writer writes here, even in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. They've kept the faith. They continue to run this race of following Jesus. Like a good coach. And I come from a... a um, Growing up, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. My, my God was sports. <laughs> That's how I think I, I, I was able to survive through high school. Is, is sports kept me out of, out of problems, out of trouble. And a mother that said she would beat me to death if I, didn't, if I did get in trouble. So it was one of those two things, right? Mom, the fear of mom and the fear of my coach, both of them would beat me to death in some form or fashion. If you've been in sports, you understand what I'm talking about. But like a good coach, a coach will use a different techniques and ways to try to encourage that person who's trying to perform to run that race to get the best out of them. The writer does that in 
for us here in the scripture. In chapter 12, he uses three different ways as a coach to try to encourage those in the faith to don't turn around, don't go back to the old ways, continue to follow Jesus, continue to grow in your relationship with him. And the first one is, is to encourage me or you by reminding me of others who have run the race and finished well. That was chapter 11. The writer wrote, all of these people, look at what they went through. Look at all the challenges. They weren't perfect, but look what they did. They continued to lean on the promises of God from his word, and they did not sway from that. Yes, they messed up. Yes, they made some big mistakes. Yes, but their heart was for God and to do it his way. And we need to be encouraged as well through the reading of the word of God, through watching good examples of people following Jesus and living their life out real time. They can be very encouraging for us to see how they are just so focused, even through some really difficult times in their life, they do not lose their focus upon who Jesus is in their life. Yes, the storms will come. Yes, the persecution will come. Yes, the death and, and sickness and, and loss of jobs and loss of money and the economy. All these things will affect all of us. It rains on the just and the unjust. But the question is, as a Christian, how do you respond to that? Will determine your faith. How you respond to those challenges will determine and reveal your faith in God or not. You can say all you want. But when the heat turns up, you'll know. <laughs> That's why I joke at the baby dedication. Parents think they all, you know, I know a lot of very highly intelligent individuals who are couples and they have it all perfect and everything's lined out and everything's in order and blah, 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 blah. And then they have kids and these two highly educated people come crashing to their knees because this little tiny six, seven, eight pound baby's putting them under. They can't handle it. You know what I'm saying? You've all been parents, right? Grandparents, it's even better when you watch your own kids go through this process. <laughs> you love it. God uses kids to refine you. No question. So yes, God uses others to show how they were able to finish well and continue to run this race following Jesus. The second example a coach may use is to encourage me by reminding me of the benefits to me physically in finishing the race. How it will benefit me physically. How I'm going to get the results that I'm looking for if I continue to run that race. And then lastly, the third is to encourage me by reminding me of the prize at the end of my race. You run the race because there's a prize. There's an achievement there's a goal that you're trying to reach. What is that in the Christian life? Well, the writer writes it here by starting here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. says, therefore, now remember, just studied and wrote an entire chapter or a part of that letter. It wrote all these examples of people in the Old Testament who literally walked by faith. We have, a better, we have a better and stronger faith. Why? Because we have the full the revelation of God's word. We see the New Testament. We see the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for our sins and rose, resurrected and, and raised into heaven and sitting on the right hand of the Father. We have the full gamut, the Old Testament and the New Testament together. But the ones he wrote to in chapter 11 was strictly talking about the promise of the Messiah to come. 
Hadn't come, he had not come yet. But they believed. But they believed. And they were saved. Notice here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So when we take a look at this scripture here, we see that the assembly or the mass of witnesses was introduced to us in chapter 11. These heroes of these enduring faith that they had that we read about, the idea of the past heroes of faith as spectators is not accurate. Many times people say, oh, my loved ones are up in heaven and they're looking down upon me and they see everything and so. I assure you, I am convinced that is not accurate. These cloud of witnesses are not up there, all Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all that. They're not up there looking down going, come on, keep going, keep racing, keep doing it. That's, that's not what they're doing. Because we know in Scripture there's no weeping and crying. We know there's joy and fulfillment there. How could anyone be up there over your loved ones and look down at your life and say, I'm so excited about what you're doing in your life? Hello? I don't want them looking down in my life and look at the junk or anything else going on. I mean, there's, there's joy in, the, in heaven. There's just not so he's not speaking of the fact that these cloud of witnesses, all these Old Testament, all the ones of, loved ones of believers before us are spectators watching we live our life of faith and making some thinking of, you know, you know how is he going to do it? Where is he going this way? Oh, no, no, go right, go left. No, he's not. The, my, the loved ones are not doing that up in heaven. This single passage suggests that they may be looking as, as spectators, but it doesn't, it's not inconclusive that it's proven that's what is happening. So be very careful. Some people will take this one verse and, and make it as an absolute that people that went before us in heaven are looking down upon us. That's not true. We rightly think of heaven as a place where people are always happy and untroubled. That's why we understand that to be true. The Greek word here, keep in mind, is the word witness does not mean spectators. That's why I have confidence that's not what it's referring to. The Greek word of witness in the English word means what? Martyr. We have a cloud of martyrs. That's what it means. We have a lot of people who are so committed to following God's promises, they were willing to die for their faith. That is what he's, the writer's writing to right now. Hello? So it's not some glorious thing of, oh, when you get die, you go in heaven, you get to see everything going on, and, oh, and it's great, and they're waiting for us. No, no, they're worshiping Jesus. That's all they're doing is they're focused on Jesus and what is happening up there in heaven. They're not looking down at this sad state of, of affairs. But the writers sit here, you and I, and the believers, the, 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 the Jewish believers who they were writing to, says we have a cloud or assembly or a mass of martyrs who live their faith out committed to the promises of God, to the word of God. They were committed. They were not going to be swayed by that. So that's when the writer says, let us lay aside every weight. Let us 
lay aside the sin which is easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. Look at how important these things are because you'll notice here it says, let us lay aside every weight. What is weight? It doesn't mean sin. You and I as a believer can walk this life of faith and be distracted and be weighed down by things that are not sin, but are things that are distracting you and me from following Jesus and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hello? How much more prevalent it is today with electronics to distract us on the things that are going on in the cares of this world and going on in the, the, the entertainment world and all these other things that they didn't have to deal with back in those days. It can become such a weight to cause you from not following and growing in your relationship with Jesus. That stuff, the TV and the electronics and distractions and, and all these things you and I can fill our day with can be a weight that would cause us not to run our race well for Jesus. Hello? Are you with me? You all know it. As a believer, you know it. I don't even have to go into details because I know, like me, I can sit there and go, I just wasted an hour. Some of you are like, an hour? That, that, that's good, Pastor. I, I, I just spent the last eight hours on my computer and gaming and watching TV and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and then you sit there and as a believer, you're like, oh, I really needed to, I needed to read the scripture. I haven't been in the word. I haven't learned this. I haven't done this. I haven't. And you sit there in that conviction, that shame, that the things, the guilt that comes across because then the fiery darts of the enemy will say, told you you weren't. Told you you didn't know what you really didn't want to know God. And you got all these little condemnations that come from, not from God, but from the enemy. Or condemnation comes from within. Self-inflicted of just squirreliness because you realize you just wasted what you said you wanted to do and you committed, I want to read the word of God and pray and seek God's wisdom in these things. And what do I do? I let the weight of stuff or the cares of the world to hinder me in my growing and understanding and deepening of my faith. Nothing new under the sun, isn't it? It happened then, it happens to us today. And the writer is saying, well, you must fight that. You must stay accountable to what and how you spend your time. We all have 24-7. What, what do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your money on? Where do you spend your energy and your physical abilities and the talents and the gifts that God has given you? What are you spending and doing it? But then the writer says, let us also... Put away the sin, which can easily ensnare us. Do you know sin can easily snare you? Maybe some of you. One of you? No, no. All of us. Sin can easily snare us if you're not careful. I always envision when I read this, like a fish. You're just oh, happy going along. And you see a little dangly thing in the water. And you're just like, ooh, 
What is that? No touchy. But you want a touchy. And once you get, once you get hooked, someone's ready just to set that hook on you. And once the hook is set, you go crazy. I want out of it. I want to get, it, get me free. But you just seem that sin doesn't free from you. Because you've been hooked. We must be very careful of where and what you spend your time doing. Who you associate with, because if you associate with people who are love darkness, who love the things of things that go against the scripture, you're going to get hooked. You're going to get hooked. It's not if... It's only when. Because we have, as believers have been forgiven of all of our sin. Because we put our trust in Jesus Christ who paid for the penalty of our sin. He has pardoned us. But because we're sinners saved by grace now does not stop the fact that we have a tendency to lean towards sin. It's part of the nature. You don't have to teach your children to lie. They already have it in them. You're teaching them it to come out of them. To change so they no longer make those decisions. They choose to please God by not lying, but by telling the truth. The lust is already there. You must learn to grow and mature so the spirit will be stronger than your flesh so that you not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You need to learn how to walk in the spirit because if you don't and you back away from that, it's your tendency, your nature is to go to the sin. Why do you say to yourself, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do and I don't do what I'm supposed to do? You're in good company. Paul had the same struggle. But we also have the same solution. The question is, Paul made that right decision. The question is, are you? <laughs> That's the decision. That's the question. But we know we need, let us lay aside every weight. It just says, lay it aside. Whatever it is, that's, it's not sin. It's just, it's making right and wrong decisions. You're making some bad decisions that are wasting your time and energy and, and, and distracting you from Jesus. Just lay it aside. But for sin, don't get too close to it. It'll snare you. I mean, there's like almost like this, this sense, this weight that can come, the stuff that can come over you. But you have to understand, he, the writer's saying here, you would just study the Old Testament. Your faith should grow just even on the Old Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. And those 39 books show what God did in and through people who dared to trust his promises. They dared to trust God's promises and they lived a life of faith. By faith they did this. So 
So our choice is not always between right and wrong, between something that may hinder us or something that else that may not, but it's this weight that we must lay aside. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which, by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And then you jump down to Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It says you and I as a believers have liberty to do certain things. It's not sinful. We can do these kinds of things that are not sinful. It doesn't go against the word of God. We have liberty. But be careful with that liberty that you have in Christ because that liberty can turn around and become a weight for you. And the writer here in Galatians is saying to us, we must take that opportunity be very careful because liberty can lead to fleshly things and that fleshly things will cause us to serve self versus serving someone else. And that's the battle, that's the battle that we have. It's always thinking about ourselves versus thinking about someone else to the left, to the right of you, and loving them. You want a good measurement, my brothers, my sisters? How much do you spend time thinking about the person to the left, to the right of you, and how to love them? That tells you where your stance as a believer today. You must grow. For some of you, you must grow. You already know. The Spirit of God is already talking to you. For some of you, I hope none, no, no one here, just those who are online, who, 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 who <laughs> just those online, they need to give their life to Jesus, don't they? This ensnared, there's some sins that are easily avoided. There's sins that are they're very easy to avoid, but you don't. You're in trouble. There are some sins that are admired. Ooh, look at that. You're almost like an admiration for it. Yet, but it must be put away. There are some sins that ensnare us, especially they're very harmful to us. And there are some sins that are very dangerous. They'll kill you. And you need to put away all of those. You need to be very careful with all of that. And not think you can get through it without any problem. Many times I hear people say, oh, it's all a demon. It's demon, demonic, demonic forces. Oh, we got to bind, bind Satan. And we gotta... No, you ain't going to bind nothing. You need to give your life to Jesus and trust in your Savior to protect you. Amen? It's got to be the Holy Spirit is going to come and give you the power to be released in your life to overcome these things that come against you. It's not always the, it's not demonic forces all the time. Yes, they play all kinds of forces on us because we don't fight against principality and we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principality and darkness of this world. So we have to understand what's being messed with you in your relationships, but don't keep blaming blaming the devil and the demons and all these things for your bad choices of not walking away from the sin that's coming to you. I don't know what the percentage is, but I bet you it is at least 80% of the time we find ourselves in sin is because you chose to go to sin. The demons didn't do it. 
No one else did it. The world didn't do it. You chose, you wanted to go back to the old way. But we must let us run with endurance. We need endurance to finish what we have begun in Jesus Christ. A race that is set before us. Do you know God, once he saved you, has set you on a race? He's given you a race to run. You must do it for Jesus. The word here, endurance, is hupomone. It means, it's translated, it means it does not mean like a pa- the patience to kind of endure or sit down and relax, kick my feet back. That's not what hupomone means. Hupomone means to aggressively pursue with endurance of a race. Not sit back in your lazy boy chair, kick back with the remote and say, I'm just going to patiently endure life here as a Christian. That is not what the word means here. You're to get up and run. <laughs> For some of you, it's like, I don't run. Well, you need to learn to run. Spiritually, you need to run. Acts 20, verse 24, Paul says, Pictured, Paul pictured himself as a runner who had a race to finish, and nothing would keep Paul from finishing the race with joy. There's one thing about running a race as a Christian, but how many Christians have you, again, it's none of you here, it's just those who watch online. I'm going to get, I'm going to get emails from people. I'm, like, I'm joking. People can follow Jesus, but be the most miserable Christians you've ever met. It's because they don't serve God and follow and do the race with joy. Because their minds are set upon that I have to do this Christian stuff. I've got to go to church. I've got to read the word of God. I've got to. No, no. It's not about I have to. It's because I get to. Your heavenly Father has made a way for us to have a relationship with God himself. To be able to worship our Savior. To give us a helper to be able to live this Christian life, to run this Christian race. And he's doing, it should be such joy because what happens if you and I did not have that? Imagine how miserable it is when you're following a religion and just doing religious checkoff things. Did you go to church? Check off. I guess God's happy with me. And then, oh, I didn't go to church. Oh, God's not happy with me. That, that's religiosity. That's legalism. The joy of the grace of God that bubbles up is because we get to now have the open freedom of not being in bondage, but the freedom of serving God and worshiping Him, not only in song, of the studying of His Word, even in the time of fellowship with one another. It should bring such joy to be able to fact that you're able to do that. If you lived in darkness as long as I did, you understand that when you flip the light on and you actually see things that you never saw your entire high school and 20-year-old stage of life, and all of a sudden you see things in the truth, I, I will never not have joy because I see things now in color, not black and white. 
but we must run with endurance. Paul speaks of my race. The question is, how's your race going? The word race here, an ancient Greek word is agona, which is a word used meaning conflict, struggle of many kinds. It was Paul's favorite word used in not only the Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. He used that word multiple times in the scripture to talk about this race, this struggle, the conflict of many kinds that he had to go through. And it was all joy. All joy. So these clouds of witness lies became an example to us of the living faith, a faith of, of, of a life of faith. And it was and all was for one reason. It was all pointing to looking unto Jesus. Look at verse 2. Oh, getting to verse 2. We're, we're moving right along here. Maybe I should stay with just verse 2. So looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith who for the joy was set before him and during the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the, really the, here's the underlined, make sure you circle, that is a very important verse right there because it's all about looking unto Jesus. It's not looking into anything other than the Savior of the world, and that is looking unto Jesus. This particular Greek word that is used here in the New Testament isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere else. And the word means literally to stare with an awe or admiration. In a couple of other translations, it says it's a fixing a fixing, a focus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You're so, it's like a horse with the blinders on. You want them to keep a very strict sense of looking and not being distracted to the right or to the left. That's what it means. We must have that same thing, that looking unto Jesus. We must be so fixated on Jesus that nothing to the left or to the right, no squirrel moment needs to happen to you. And that's what we need to do. Why? Because he's the author of your faith. He's the originator of your faith of God. It comes from Jesus. Not from you. Not from the world. Not from the church. But from the Savior of the world. He's not only the author here. But we see also the fact that he is the finisher of our faith. He completes us. He finishes the work. We'll talk about that some more here. Because as you look, it was looking unto Jesus that they were saved, which means to trust in the Savior's work and the finished work on the cross. It was all about what the Savior was going to do, the Messiah. When the dying Jews looked in the, in the Old Testament, in num, uh, back in Numbers chapter 21, we're studying it on Wednesday nights. We just covered it. Uh, Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. We can also see it referenced by Jesus in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. It says that when in the wilderness, 
God told Moses to make a serpent to remind them of the, of the, of the serpents that were biting the, the Jews to put it on a pole and lift it up. And those who were bit, all they needed to do was look toward that serpent, to the, the, the serpent on that pole, and they would be saved. They would be healed. It was a depiction, an illustration of Jesus who will be put on the cross. And anyone who will look to Jesus on the cross and see that finished work that he has done to pay the penalty of sin for this world, you can be saved if you put your trust in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus describes an attitude of faith and not just some single temporary act. It's a decision that I am going to live and run this race for Jesus. Because it's very important we don't see Jesus as just as some example. He was and is so much more than just an example. Yes, he's the perfect example, but he is the savior of the world. Jesus not only is the author, the originator of our faith, but he is also the finisher as well. God has given every man and woman a measure of faith. Every one of you have a measure of faith that God has given you. I believe that measure of faith is what draws you to want to know what God is or who God is. Your whole life, there has been something there that's drawing you to know there is a God. And that faith that I have in my heart is a gift of God. God gave that to you and I as a gift to plant that. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Our salvation, the faith by which I believe, the ability to believe is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, Paul lists it as one of the gifts of God is faith. So when people say, I don't have faith, God gave you enough to be able to believe in Jesus Christ. He's given you enough. You're choosing not to exercise that faith. Everyone has it. That's why I have hope in every single person that's living I don't care how bad they are. They could be on death row. They could be mass murder. I believe, and I know by the word, that they have faith. If they would put their trust in Jesus Christ, they could be saved. I never give up on anybody. No one. Because God has given a little bit of faith. Jesus is the author of our faith. He is the one who has planted faith in our hearts he is also the finisher we see here clearly in philippians 1 6 he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ when you get saved god says he comes inside you the spirit of god comes inside you and continues to work in your life to refine you and will complete you he's the finisher of your faith he is the alpha and the mega the beginning and the end this was true with creation, and this is true with God's new creation within you. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus did not regard the cross 
itself as a joy. When the writer says, who for the joy that was set before him. Jesus didn't sit there and say, oh, I have such joy about going and being crucified on the cross. That's not what he's saying. But he cooked past that horror of being on the cross. He saw the agony of what was going to happen to him when the sin of the world was placed on his shoulders by the Father. The agony what he would go through, the spitting and the nakedness and the scourging and the beating beyond recognition, the the scripture says. But you can't even recognize he was a man. That's how badly he was beaten. He knew he was going to go through all that for you. Why did he go through all that for you? Because Jesus loves you. But what he did, and what we must learn to do, is look past the agony, past the horror, past the persecution, past all the junk that can happen to us in this world. You must look past that as a believer and see the joy of the Lord, who is your author and finisher of your faith. I may be going through a lot of things. You may go through a lot of things. But this is not the end of my story. The end of my story will be eternal life with my Savior. And no more suffering. No more weeping. No more pain. But I will be with my Savior. Paul could look, Jesus could look, all of those who have faith could look beyond the temporal, the temporal light affliction that can happen and look with joy of what a finished work he will do in your life and my life. Yes, we may have messed up our life, but God knows it. He's forgiven you because you put your trust in Jesus for that forgiveness and he's going to trans- transition, transform your mind by the reading of the word. See, who for the joy that was set before him the joy that was set before him would be including Jesus' completing the Father's will. That's what he brought joy. I'm fulfilling my Father's will. The second is, I am going to go to the cross and I'll be resurrected and exalted after this horrible death. That brought joy to Jesus. And then his joy is presenting you and I as believers to his Father in glory. How do I know that? Because you go back and read Jude 24, and I'll read it for you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. How do I know what Jesus is thinking? Because the scripture tells me that his joy is knowing that he can take you and I, go to the Heavenly Father and say, he, I died for him. I died for her. Father, they are part of the family. I have pardoned them. I have paid the penalty for their sins. And I have such joy to present this sinful person that used to be sinful, has been saved, has been forgiven. I'm going to present Corey to you this day. My Savior intercedes for me daily. And that brings great joy, joy to my Savior to be able to do that. Do you ponder on that? Do you ponder on that truth 
on a daily basis that your Savior is interceding for you and it's great joy to intercede for you as a child of God? You may not believe that. If you're struggling in your mind right now, it's because you probably don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't believe what I just told you. Because it's true. He's willing to go and to go through the despising the shame. One of the prominent elements of the torture on the cross was that it was extreme shame that was brought upon our Savior. They stripped him, beat him, spit on him. But Jesus did not welcome the shame. He despised the shame, yet he endured through it for victory. Daniel 12, verse 2, says it really clearly to you and I. It says that shame was an aspect of the terrors of hell. That's how Daniel describes it. It says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Describing those who do not put their trust in Jesus will go to hell. Because they chose that. They personally chose. They wanted to continue down the path of going to hell. God didn't send them there. He doesn't want them to go there. But because people choose they don't want to follow Jesus. Has made their decision to continue down that path. And it will be full of shame. See, Jesus bore this hellish shame to accomplish redemption for mankind. He was willing to take on this hellish shame for you and I. And guess the challenge is this. For many... This is a stumbling block for them. I want to follow Jesus, but I want nothing to deal with shame and embarrassment. I want none of that in my life. I will do whatever it takes so I don't experience pain, shame, or embarrassment. And if that means I follow Jesus and that might bring pain, shame, and embarrassment, I want nothing to do with following Jesus. And that becomes a stumbling block. But I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you've committed your life to Jesus, understand that Jesus understands completely what you're going through in your faith. And he will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you and give you the strength and the power to continue to have victory in him. And you will have the victory just like he had victory. Because he did it all. And the The promise here, and we'll finalize here, is that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It speaks of Jesus' glorification, that, that completeness of being back into heaven with his heavenly Father, interceding in a proper place, waiting to come back to get his bride, you and I, the church. And 
what a beautiful picture this is because even the Hebrew writer uh, that we saw back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, if you remember, says, I will put my trust in him or I will put my hope in him. It comes from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. That is what it is. We must recognize our Savior sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us and coming back for us. That is our hope. That is our promise. Do you have faith in that? I do. I certainly hope you do. We'll get into more of this next time in chapter uh, verses 3 and 4, but I'm going to read it for you today. And it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. We see here that these Jewish Christians were so discouraged in their walk, because they started to experience this very significant social and economic persecution because of their faith. They knew that this was not going to be an easy walk as a Christian. But the writer saying, consider Jesus and how he went through the hostility from sinners coming against him. Because you must keep your eyes. Looking unto Jesus will strengthen you to go through the persecution that may come your way. You must continue because if you don't, you're going to get weary and you're going to be discouraged in your souls if you keep your eyes on the situations around you or on yourself. You must keep looking unto Jesus through our daily walk. Because if that does, it will strengthen you. In Romans 8, 17, Paul says, If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We will be glorified, we'll be rewarded for our persecution and our faith in Jesus Christ. And we must keep that focus daily as we go through this life. The writer says to them, You're just experiencing some difficult times, but keep in mind, you haven't been martyred yet. Jesus was, mar- Jesus was killed. You have not. You're just going through some, temp- some difficulties and struggles. But let me remind you, be encouraged today. The writer's saying, looking unto Jesus is the absolute key for your walk by faith. Amen?